Amen. Um, so we're talking about deep waters. This is an introduction to um, what we're going to be doing for the next nine times we meet up. Uh, and this is really important. This is something I got like four life projects. Maybe that's one too many, but I got like four. One of it is to pray well, live, learn how to pray well. I want to be able to connect with the living God in a, in a consistent kind of way. The second is to foster, build Christ-like communities wherever I go. The third is to love my wife well. And the fourth is to read the scriptures well. Those are my big four life projects. Everything I do to one degree or another revolves around those four goals. I have no other goals. I probably should consider retirement goals, but I don't have them. And that's my desire to acquire them one day. So I've been a Christian for two days from now. We'll make 15 years. Oh. <clears throat> Prior to following Jesus, um, never read the Bible in my entire life. I shared with you guys that service that I actually thought the book of Kings had something to do with MLK. I thought Jesus and Moses were contemporaries, like one was a Christian and the other was a Jew, and they just didn't agree with each other, um, didn't know that they were the same era. And so I, when I came to the church, one of the things that attracted me about the church was that it seemed like everyone knew the Bible. That was one of the first standout things. I remember um, the brother who was preaching my first Sunday, he said, turn to this. And this is before people had keynotes and slides and they would put the scripture up. It just seemed like everyone just was like. And then someone handed me a Bible and then he said another scripture and I went to the table of content and I look like I'm the only one who don't know where this book is. It was really impactful when I left. I was like, it seems like everyone knows where all the books are. And that blew me away. The other thing that blew me away about our fellowship when it came to the scriptures, it seemed like the, the, those who were older in years just always had a Bible verse on their heart. Yeah. Like when I would talk to them, they're like, man, you know, this, this reminds me of Philippians. I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you're like, how do you just think about Philippians in the middle of a conversation? Like, how does that just come to mind? And that, that blew me away about our fellowship. Now, I'm also going to share some different things that became challenges with how we approach the scriptures as well. That I think the Holy Spirit took me from there and prayerfully is going to continue to guide me to a closer place to him. So the Bible. It's very important that we understand first and foremost that the Bible is a library of books. Many of you already know that. But it's just, it's just important that we remember that. It isn't like the book came together as one source. It is in most um, Protestant Bibles, 66 books. If you add in the Catholic um, Apocrypha, that, that, that puts you up closer to 80, 80 or 78, something like that. But it is 66 collections of books written across times, written across ages, written by different authors, different social um, economic status. It, it, it is an expansive book that took about 2,000 plus years to write, which is really impressive when you think about the degree to which that the story is pointing and showing us Jesus. And so how did the early church look at the, this work? How did even the Jews look at this work? They saw it as God's revelation of himself. They saw that this book revealed the living God, showed us who God was, and showed God's dealings with um, humankind. And in this book, this is really important, there are multifaceted um, genres in this book. 
narrative, parable, poetry, apocalypse, didactic, and proverbs. Now, any of you who've ever read different genres of books, you understand the flow. Now, most of us, when we buy a book, it is in one genre. And we read it as such, whether it's nonfiction, fiction, poetry, we read it as such. The Bible throws it in there at varying points, and it's very important that we kind of see when the Bible pivots us and how we need to read these things. And so it's really important if we're going to get deep and we're going to get close to God, I believe that the scriptures is the most important book all of us own. And if you don't own it, it's the most important book on your phone. If you don't have it on your app, it's the most important book you should get on your phone. And it's the most important book you should own. It is critical for forming a people. What are some of your earliest encounters with the Bible? Were they positive or negative? Like when you guys think about coming up, some of you have been hearing the Bible since you were a wee lad. Or what's the female version of lad? Lad. Lass, a wee lass. Um, was it encouraging? Maybe your, your, your experience with the scriptures was like mine in your, your teens. I was already like 19 years old. The first time I kind of really heard someone use the Bible in my context. Like what, what has been your experience? You raised your hand, Iggy? Oh, uh, okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Connor. <laughs> yeah. I went to a, Connor a Nick. Christian high school. And so the Bible was homework. Uh, mm. I had to do like a little homework packet oh go to ezekiel blah 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 and i would go there and i would make up my answer and then i would close the bible nice nice so bible is homework nick uh, i think my earliest encounters uh, i was a wee lad in the church wee lad oh. come on uh, you know Daniel the lion's den nice Goliath. you know it was it was these epic stories noah's ark where you know these these things were happening that Nice. And that's kind of where it began. Amen. Lincoln, they were not. I have this, uh, this sort of small black King James version. Ooh, come on. I had to bring to church every Sunday. <laughs> come on. So it was King James, man. That was it. So. Come on. You were baptized in fire. Let's go, Rinaldi. <laughs> um, so my earliest account of the Bible was, and the Bible wasn't in English, it was in French. Come on. That's, you were baptized in a hurricane. Growing up, we just went to church on Christmas and Easter, so I had a lot of, I was just very curious about why we didn't really bring our Bibles to church as a family. And so I found, after weeks of looking, I found another Bible, and it was in Haitian Creole. It wasn't even in Come on. <laughs> they, they didn't give you access. Isn't that cool? Like, you hear it, but you actually didn't even read it, Tim, then Iggy. Going off what Christine said, I grew up Catholic, too. I hate hearing the story, but it wasn't really positive or negative. It was more just mysterious, because really only the priests really read it. You knew about it, but you were just kind of like, oh, that's for people above my faith. Amen. Yeah, I think for me it was, I grew up in a Baptist church, one of Baptist churches, and it's mainly like kind of older people, the elders have the Bibles and but I just felt a, a sense of strictness with like following it, I guess. Because uh, it was like maybe how we had to dress up every Sunday and yep. um, like look sharp, 
Yeah. Tita, then Juan. Come on, Kidding Gardener. Yeah, and it was completely new to me. I had never like seen a Bible, or maybe I'd seen one, but like never like opened it up. I didn't really grow up going to church or anything. I went a couple times with my grandma growing up because she got sponsored by a church to come here. Mm. But um, it was really, really hard for me to grasp. So it took me a while. Amen. To, to get it, but. <laughs> Amen. That's a very normal journey for a lot of people. Juan, you'll be the last one. Amen. You know, for me, my, my first experiences with the Bible in a serious way was when I came into this fellowship to, um, and I started studying scriptures. But before that, there were different points where I was exposed to the Bible. I don't recommend anyone watching this movie, Pulp Fiction. One of the characters in Pulp Fiction would quote a Bible verse before he killed someone. And I remember he would quote the, I seen the movie like twice when I was, and I was like really young. I was like 10 years old. Why was I watching that movie? That's where I was. But I, I, I remember that, that, that verse being quoted and I went to go look for that verse. And, some, and I didn't even know that the Bible was like a concordance in that way. Like if I put in the name, I could find it. There. But I remember seeing it, I'm like, oh, that is in the Bible. Cool. And then I shut the Bible. And then there was a hip hop artist that, you know, where Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. This hip hop artist begins his track with that song and he proceeds to kill a whole bunch of people in that song. And I was like, that's in the Bible. Jesus is going to run around killing people. Interesting. But, you know, I'm like 12 years old. I don't know the scriptures, but these are my first encounters with bits and pieces of the Bible. And so was it positive? It was negative because I also heard street preachers growing up. I didn't stop and listen to them consistently. But, you know, they had the if you sin, you go to hell kind of thing. And that just it, it, it. Growing up, it just felt like God's already made his decision about my entire community, so why should I even invest in this book? And I think coming from a community like that where you feel a lot of the circumstances that God is judging is because if God is as powerful as I thought he was, he put us in those circumstances. And so you're like, how, how should, why am I being judged for the environment I was placed in? And that's what I was thinking as a young kid in, kid in, in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, thinking about the world around me as I saw these different things. It wasn't until college I actually opened up the scriptures for myself and saw what was in it. Okay. 
it's very important that we understand that in this present moment, millennials, Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z, I'm not going to give you a hard timeline. I don't know the exact timeline. Didn't things seem like they're shifting? But let's just say anyone born in 1979 till present day, not, not the babies, but obviously like someone like in sixth grade or something like that. The Bible plays a huge role. About one third of that age group has walked away from the Christian faith because of the Bible. Those who have decided to walk away, it's actually the Bible that they cite as the reason. Primarily the violence, the way it treats, the way they are interpreting how it treats women, the idea of slavery, just the idea of um, the, the sexual ethic in the scriptures. And so for a lot of people, they love the idea of Jesus, but the moment you lift up the Bible, you actually turn them off. Like they'll love to talk to you about some idea, some vagueness of spirituality, but the moment you turn to the scriptures, it turns them off. And for me, that was actually the complete opposite. The more I read the scriptures, the more I love Jesus, the more I want to get closer to Jesus. But I think a huge part of it was I, I, I didn't start off with spiritual baggage, per se, with the Bible. Like, I didn't grow up anyone quoting Bible verses at me when I did something bad. I know a lot of my friends who grew up in our fellowship of churches, the Bible was weaponized against them when they were younger. And so they're like, my, my dad used to always read this scripture, obey the first time, and da-da-da-da-da. And God thinks if you're immoral, you're going to not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you're telling like these 10-year-old, 9-year-olds this kind of stuff. God turns into this huge judge in the cloud just ready to strike you down. And it becomes traumatizing for some people to read scripture in that way. Now, some of you are fired up. You're like, oh, I love the fire and brimstone, man. I love that God's going to scorch a whole bunch of people on the last day. That actually gets me hyped. And I look forward to it. And, you know, I would say, pray, pray about your heart. <laughs> really, I'm not trying to be funny, but seriously, pray about your heart. I think they're, they're judge not lest ye be judged. That's in the King James Version for those of you who are throwback, the ye part. But deconstruction has happened because of the Bible. And so when I use deconstruction, I'm talking about people who have said, I can't believe in a God of love if he killed his son, pagan God, who would kill his son just so he doesn't have to kill us. I can't believe a God who would flood the entire world and not slow down to give people an opportunity to change. I can't believe in a God who would even mess with Abraham's head and say, offer up your kid. You know, that, that those are a lot of things. The, why does a man have to be the head of the, the woman? Like, what if the woman is more equipped to lead and serve in a more meaningful way? What is God doing there? And so there are all of these components. But then there is a large component of scriptures that actually draws our hearts. Like the Beatitudes, who doesn't say, man, blessed are the meek. Love, forgive. First um, Corinthians 13, that beautiful love poem. Where Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, is not easily angered. How many of us aspire to that sort of love? And so we have a varying degree of how we wrestle with the scriptures. But I just I put these things before us because it will impact whether or not we're consistent in this journey of reading the scriptures. It's very important. You know, the other thing that's important when it comes to scriptures, many of us are bored. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and you're bored of reading the Bible. You're like, the book of John does not change even when I change the translation from NIV to NSAB. Just a couple of few words change, but it's still kind of been there, done that. And then you get the amplified version where it gives you like four more words. And you're like, all right, the four more words did not send me back up the mountain. 
And, you know, you're just like, I've been a Christian 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. I'm tired of reading the same stuff. You know, I'm just going to come to church, maybe listen to some really cool podcasts and not give the scriptures that attention. And then like what Tita mentioned, there is about one, one quarter of the Bible, I think, that's really understandable. And it's the part of the Bible that no one likes reading. It's like when you go into Deuteronomy and Leviticus and it just says, don't do this. You're like, oh, I totally get that. You're like, don't mix your fabrics. You're like, yep, never doing that right now. But then there's other parts of the Bible. You go to Ezekiel and you're like the spaceships and they're flying, the will within the will. And you're like in, in Isaiah, the four wings, the cherubims yelling, holy, holy, holy. And you're like, what is going on? Woe to this place, woe to that place. And you're like, I don't even have a map. And even if I had a map, it's no longer these places are called that. So I don't even know where to begin to look. But woe to those people. And then you go to the book of Revelation and you're just like four, five. Once you hit chapter five to about chapter nine, you're like, I don't even know what's happening here. Jesus is going to win. And then you close the book and you're just like, listen, this that was interesting. Paul's letters just pick up as if you already know what's happening. You know, you read in Romans as I've told or, or Corinthians, as I told you before, you're like, we did not have a conversation before, Paul. I don't know what you said before. And so we're reading this Bible and we're like, this is strange. And you have guys like me come up here and you're like, oh, man, when you said it, it kind of connected. And then you go back into your car, you're like, it didn't connect anymore. Like it made sense when he was talking. But like, why is Steve always quoting books? Like, what is up? I don't I can't even get this book. He's quoting another book. I, I get the challenge. And yet we are encouraged to journey and get closer to God. And one of, the, one of the primary ways God wants to do that is to use the scriptures. So it's important that we clear up some origin stuff and purpose of scripture stuff. Here was one of the first things that I was encountered with in our fellowship. I'm not saying it was taught all across the board, but when I was studying the Bible, we opened up to 2 Corinthians, I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. And it said, all scripture is God breathed and it's used for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that it's servant of God. Back then it was the old NIV. So it was the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then the guy said in the Bible was like, you see, every scripture is like this pen. Who do you give credit to? The pen or the person writing? I'm like, the person writing. So everyone is writing God's word exactly how he said it. They're not deviating. They're not changing their experience. They're all writing the same thing. So I thought in my head, I don't know if this is what they're trying to communicate, that moment God started talking to these guys, it's like their minds just flip back over and it's like, and they just wrote the scriptures. Just like, and it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And that was, I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, whoa, that's, that's awesome. So I don't have to worry if they got it wrong. They went into God mode and they started writing it. There, there's a group of us when I was, again, this is my experience studying the Bible that you might judge the Florida churches. Don't judge the Florida churches. <laughs> this is where we were. We don't judge them. They, God is working in their lives as much as he's working in our lives. There were a group of people who said God ordered the Bible exactly how we have it. He wanted Revelation last. He wanted Jude here. It fell exactly how we wanted. And I was like, so because I remember this asking someone, I was like, oh, um, why don't we have John come first? 
than the, the synoptic gospels. I didn't use the word synoptic. But why don't we have the other three gospels? Since they're all similar, let John be the first one that kind of stands out and then let him jump in and let's end it with Luke and then go into Acts. That's what I was just saying in the D group. And this brother like came and basically grabbed my shirt. He didn't grab my shirt, but it felt like it with his verbal words. So he like grabbed my shirt verbally. And he's like, God dropped it the way it was supposed to be. Like, how dare you even think you can mess with the order of the Bible? And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I'm studying the Bible my first year as a Christian, and we're, we're studying with a philosophy student, and I'm like, you know, John, he says this. And then the philosophy student looks at me, and he's like, you keep saying John says this. Tell me where John announces himself. I read this up until chapter 7. He has yet to announce himself. You're not reading it correctly. I go to chapter one, you know, the prologue. I'm like, okay, it's not there. I go to the lower part where John the Baptist is talking about himself. I'm like, that's not the John. I'm in chapter three and I'm starting to sweat. Now I'm like, I don't think John announced himself. So I told him, John wrote it. And you need to stop playing games. You know what I mean? Like I, you, John 8, hold to the teachings and you know the truth and the truth to set you free. And I leave that conversation after judging him. And I call up my campus minister. I'm like, where does it say John wrote the gospel of John? And he's like, oh, it's in the back. If I go to the back, I'm like, it's not there. I, I call him back. I'm like, where, where does John say, hey, I'm John, the apostle, and I wrote this book? He's like, it's in the back. Again, my campus minister was a good dude. Don't judge him. Um, well, lo and behold, he even told me it was still in the back. I'm like, it's not there. And then I said, what other book doesn't really have the name? And guess what I found out? All four Gospels don't have the name. I'm like, why do we call it these books if we don't know what the name is? And that was like, wow, like, what's going Because I thought it fell from heaven. I'm like, maybe, I'm like, heaven didn't tell us who wrote it. But I'm like, maybe God is the author of everything and doesn't really matter. That's where, I, that's where it was my conclusion. You know, a little bit of cognitive dissonance so I could stay in the fellowship. I had to do that mentally. <laughs> the Nicene Conspiracy. You know, there, there's a group known as the Black Israelites. Have you seen that group on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. Well, they're, they're, usually, they're usually in areas where there's more black people, so that's probably why you haven't seen them, so you haven't looked it up. <laughs> Anyhow, the, the black Israelites, I'm on campus. This is my second year as a disciple. They said, Nicaea corrupted your entire Bible. I said, Nicaea? And, you know, I'm pretending like I know what Nicaea is. I'm like, they didn't do anything. I'm Google searching Nicaea as I'm talking to them. I'm like, what is Nicaea? I couldn't even spell it right initially. I'm like, Nicaea. And I'm like, what is Nicaea? What's going on? And, he, and this, this Israelite, he was like the leader of that group. And he's like, Nicaea came in. They changed the day that you should worship. Instead of worshiping on Saturday, like all Christians did, they moved it to Sunday. They came in there and they took away the important books that talked about your dominance as a human being. My dominance being a black person as a human being. And they took away all those books and they left you with this. And I was like, whoa. And then he showed me some random article, and he's talking really fast, trying to get me to confirm. I'm like, back up, back up. And then again, I went back to people I trusted, asked them about the Nicene conspiracy. They sent me to Douglas Jacobi's website, which actually ended up being really helpful. 
He seems to have answers to questions that all sorts of people are asking, which is great. And I end up reading, and I'm like, Nicaea, blah, 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 blah. But you know what Nicaea ended up debunking? It fell from heaven. Then that kind of creates the, oh, they told me it kind of fell from heaven, pen, pen analogy. But Nicaea showed me that a whole bunch of people were involved in what we presently have in the canon. Like, even though people had recognized the authority of scripture, there were people involved who said, this will be our book. And I'm like, A got debunked, and it kind of sent me for just a little tailspin. I'm like, okay, maybe everyone meant well. Then someone did an incredible sermon called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. You know what that acronym stands for? The Bible. And they basically said the Bible is all about how you could get to heaven. That's what the Bible is about. So you want to get to heaven? That's why you read the Bible. Now, at this point, I'm about three years in my journey in Christ. I read a good portion of the Bible, and I realized it actually doesn't say much about heaven. I know how to read a little well, and I'm like, it's not really saying much about how to get there. There's a lot of woes in Isaiah that got nothing to do with heaven. I was reading Song of Psalms, definitely nothing to do with heaven. I got into the Proverbs, certainly nothing to do with heaven. Then I got into the teachings of Jesus, and this guy named Tom Jones did this whole lesson about the kingdom of God. And I was like, that actually, and then I was like, whoa, I thought this, I was telling people this is a book about how to get to heaven. But it seemed like I'm more concerned about how to get to heaven than this book actually is. And then the rule book. You know, basically, if you want to do right by God, just do what the book says. And so we're sitting, Douglas Jacoby is sitting there. He's at the Miami School of Missions. And one of the other students, one of the other, at this point I was interning with the church. He raises his hand and he's like, if God just wants us to obey the Bible, why does he give us all the narratives and all the other stuff? Why not just give us the complete commands? Douglas Jacoby flipped the question on him. He's like, why do you think? And I was like, that was a totally Jesus move and a Douglas Jacoby move, right? And so I was like, whoa, what do you think? Huh? You, got, you got wrecked. Um, so he, he, he froze and Douglas was able to walk out of that situation without answering the question. And I was like, that was like the most amazing thing in the world. Like, I, I'm like, that's going in my arsenal. What do you think? Uh, and so anyhow, but we end up talking about it. He's like, but if it's all about just do what it says, why do we need a story? Why did Jesus even need to die? And then we talk like, maybe we need the Holy Spirit. Okay. But then why did he need a three-year ministry? Why couldn't he, whatever? And he's like, bro, like, why don't, instead of we go out and go evangelize, just give people a Bible? I'm like, well, people won't know how to read it unless someone teaches them. That's what it says in Romans. He's like, how about we give everyone how to read the Bible for all it's worth? We give them a Bible and how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. But it might be right. I'm like, I don't know. If it's just obey what it says, if the Bible's purpose is just for us to obey, not to understand why he gave us his will in narrative form. Now you fast forward to where we are presently, where I am presently on this journey. The scriptures were never meant to be intended to as a rule book. Again, it's not about how do we leave earth. It's about bringing heaven here on earth. The Nicene conspiracy, God always partnered with humans. I think the idea that God would not partner with us, and even as we share, even as the men who wrote scripture shared, they shared with their unique personality that God was working with. Yeah. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 
Second Timothy chapter three, verse 15 through 17. We know the scripture, but I wanted to read verse 15 because I think it's an important component of the scripture. Thanks. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. The scriptures are able to give us Sophia. They're able to give us a knowledge for salvation. Now that word salvation is not necessarily let's go to heaven, but it's how to live in a state of being rescued by God. Salvation at its most basic term is rescue. And the scriptures are able to give us a wisdom. And wisdom has nothing to do with intelligence as much as it has to do the ability to make wise decisions, the ability to make righteous decisions in, in view of who God is. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Now, we all know meditation is an Eastern thing. And I used to think meditation was like, you know, yum kind of stuff. And if you do that, shout out to you. But what, what the Hebrew, Psalm, Psalms 1, I keep saying chapter 1. It's not really chapter 1. It's the first Psalm. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, but or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yielded fruit in season, and whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The word meditate is the Hebrew word Hagah, and that word is often translated when talking about a lion as growling. Like, you know, when a lion, the imagery here that should come to mind is who owns a dog? Okay, we got some dog lovers. Let's go. And you give your dog a bone that has no meat on it. What does it do? It chew on it and it kind of gnarls a little bit. Like, and you're like, what is he doing it for? There's no sustenance from that bone anymore. I don't know. Maybe some of you know why dogs do that. I hadn't done the research that far, but I just... That's what comes to mind when the Hebrew word uh, meditate comes. Like, I am chewing on the text. I am reflecting on what's happening. I am just sitting here like, mm, mm, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. What sort of steps am I taking? Sit in the company of mockers. I don't think I hear mocking at any point today. Am I listening or is no one mocking? Prayerfully, no one's mocking, but maybe people are mocking. I'm in the middle of lunch now. Mm, mm, sit in a company of mockers. And someone's like, doesn't this president make you sick? Look at him. And like, oh, I don't want to sit next to you. That's not blessed. That's cursed. Like you are meditating on it as you go through your day. Is what the the um, psalm the psalmist is saying here. He's like this person is like a tree planted by a stream of water. That is the best place to be if you're a tree. You are consistently getting nutrients. You are consistently getting the substance you need if you are planted by a stream of water. And God is like the person who meditates 
on my word, who hagav on my word, is this person who will yield fruit in all seasons. And so, it's important that we clear up this situation because I think even as I encourage you guys to read the scriptures that we're going to read, it's easy to lose sight of what we're actually doing. Jesus in John um, says, the scriptures point to him. Like you diligently um, search the scriptures because in them you think you might inherit eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Like the scriptures point to him. Luke 24, Jesus says this, 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 all of this points to me. Like the scriptures point to Jesus in a real meaningful way. But are the scriptures only intended to point to Jesus? Or is it supposed to do a little bit more? I would argue it's intended to do a little bit more. Spiritual reading honors the Bible's words as holy, as holy words. Participation is a big, a big theme in the Bible. Participation. This is, this is when you see in the language in Christ, with Christ, with the Messiah. Like you are baptized into Christ. You are with Christ. You are co-sufferers with Christ. Like the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, is all about us participating in the journey of what it means to be the Messiah of Jesus people. And it is a communal situation, too. Like we need to participate together. And so we are drawn to Scripture's reality, and that's at least that's what the Scriptures are trying to do, draw us to this reality of the way that God says is the world, and we go to that world on God's terms. Let's go to Rome, I mean, Revelation chapter 10, verse 9 through 10. Can I get someone to read that? Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If I could get a volunteer to read that. Go for it, Sebastian. Revelation 10, 9 through 10. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me a little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour. But in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Mm. So what's happening here in Revelation? It's apocalyptic vision, but this angel... Um, John is trying to get like, what's the word? What, what's the word that's going to come from you? This angel was preaching all this stuff. He's like, what's the word? I, I need to know it. I need to know what's going to happen. And so the, the angel gets here, take this scroll and eat it. Same thing happened with um, Ezekiel. Same thing happened with Jeremiah as well. And so he eats it. And as he eats this scroll, it tastes like honey, which is encouraging. And then it gets to his stomach and it's sour. I would argue that is the experience of reading the Bible from um, Genesis to Revelation. There are parts of the Bible that we are just like, this is sweet. This is good. Oh, my gosh. I wish the whole world read this. And there are parts of the scriptures that we are like, whoa, this is insane. I became a Christian at 20 years old. The first time I read the Canaanite conquest story without hearing the spiritual analogy of it, which helped me a little bit, but then I had to kind of still think through it. That was horrifying. I remember reading Psalm 139, and it was like, I wish someone would dash the babies against the rocks. And I was like, that doesn't feel like that should be in the Bible. That's where someone was. That's what they were feeling. That was the, the, the sour part. But David's redemption story, how God forgave him, but then David killing a 
killing a person. I was like, whoa. It's like you go through the entire Bible. You have these moments where you're like, this is beautiful. This redemptive story is beautiful. And there's other moments in the scriptures where you're like, okay, a little cognizant dissonance need to take place here. Like you, you, I, all of you have read that part in Exodus where Moses didn't circumcise his boys and the angel was going to kill him. Kill him. And we're all like, whoa, what is going What? Let's just go to the next chapter. And you just go to the next chapter and it kind of, the story kind of picks up again. And you're like, praise God. I'm not going to ever preach on that. I'm never going to teach on that. I don't know what's happening there. That's what I was thinking back then. I will probably, if I learn something, we'll go there. And so when, when we look into following Jesus and following the scriptures, we are called to participate. We need to read the Bible in such a way that our reading transitions from, man, I was just soaking in a whole bunch of information to where this stuff is actually changing how I view the world. This is changing how I actually walk in my day-to-day life. Like, I am now a part of the story of the kingdom of God. Like, everyone in here did something, and did you think, I'm just doing this, or am I a participant of the kingdom of God as I do this? That those are two different worlds. Yeah. You see, the rhythms and images that um, reading of Scripture is supposed to create in us is we're supposed to be an alternative people. Like, as we read the Scriptures, we become more and more invested in the story that the Scripture says is the true reality. And that, and that manifests itself in acts of prayer, obedience, and, ways, and faithful ways of love. So let me ask you guys a question. What, has, what is a challenge to reading the Bible spiritually? What I mean by reading the Bible spiritually is your reading of the scriptures connects you to the narrative of scripture. So you're not just taking information in. You're not just like, okay, I read this. This is information. What is preventing you from being a part of the story? Rinaldi. I think this is like a really personal answer, but I think We're recording. I know, I know. Okay. So reading the scriptures in such a way where your, your beliefs because of scriptures, find you, you find yourself um, upstream against what the culture believes. Yeah, and the culture views you as the threat, even though your intention is to help the culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, can, that, that definitely is probably a fruit of spiritual reading, I'll tell you that much, once you start realizing my beliefs are a little bit are upstream, not even a little bit upstream. Anyone else? What are some other challenges to reading spiritually where you walk away and you're like, I am a part of this big narrative that Jesus is writing here. Like I am a part of the narrative. Lincoln. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm finding that like like I can't read spiritually. Mm. I mean I haven't studied mm. reading. takes time and work, right? I sit down and I really have to study and here's 
tackle something new that I've never looked at before. Uh, reading, it just, you know, just reading, it doesn't, I don't know, it, it doesn't <coughs> do that much for me. Amen. Amen. I appreciate your honesty there. Anyone else, what, what are some challenges to reading spiritually where you find yourself walking away like I'm in this story? Fred. I think um, when we aren't willing to just accept what it says. I mean, it's, it's what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the, the Pharisee comes in and says, what do I need to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? What does the Bible say? And he quotes the Bible perfectly. And Jesus says, great, do that. And the first thing he does is he turns around and tries to make the verse not apply to him. Mm. And that, I think, that sort of, you know, uh, that tendency is in all of us. Mm-hmm. To not just say, wow, tell me I should do this. Maybe I should just do it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make sense scientifically. It certainly doesn't make sense culturally. So there's got to be a reason. If I can't figure out a reason, well, I probably don't need to obey it. Okay. Maybe. We'll circle back to that, Connor. Yeah, I think there comes a point when I fall short of a standard, of a godly standard or a biblical standard so much that I think, man, I guess this is just not attainable for me at this moment. Mm-hmm. So failure to live into the story. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it's probably uh, time. Like, so I feel like if whenever I schedule my, my time with with God, if if I'm trying to like accomplish something in a very fixed amount of time, I think it can be very difficult. Like, okay, my goal is to connect, is to connect with God in you know ten minutes, or to connect with God. And I feel like as I'm reading, if if there's too much time constraints, if I don't really have the time to sort of digest and explore and think, and sort of, I think it just for me it takes a lot of sort of time. And if I don't give myself enough. Then I just, you know, I read a story, and then, and then I go about the rest of my day. Facts. Been there. Definitely relate to that. You like, hey, what did you read this morning? Genesis seven. What, what did you think about that? Psh, I don't even know. It was great though. I read the whole chapter. It was amazing. But I don't know what I think about it. Uh, anyone else? What are some challenges? Page. And I think on top of that, like a historical timeline, I think especially coming from a student's perspective, it's like we learn so much history. It's like coming at us in so many different ways. And so to not fit the Bible into that, but to fit those stories and to want to go deeper into where they were placed in history um, as well as geographically, I guess, it can be difficult to balance everything and to find deep enough time to really dive into the word. Amen. Amen, Heather. I think it's kind of a combination of like personal and cultural doubts that like they can add in. Like, you know, there's just a kind of rise as I see it of atheism. There is no God, and so there's I have a tendency to like, is God really gonna work in this person's life? You know, um, and I think that can pose. Amen. 
So you guys shared a lot. I, I would argue, how, how do we get or cultivate an environment where we experience scripture as an unhurried delight? Like you open up the Bible and you're just like, you know, I was recently on a bus coming back here from um, South Florida and because I was so far away from the driver's seat, I couldn't see what he was doing. My son went to sleep instantly when he got in the bus. So I'm in the back mid mix session of the bus and I have no control what's going to happen next. And so I say, you know, I could stress out about what this bus driver is supposed to be doing. But since I'm so far away, I can't even see. I'm just going to enjoy myself. And I just enjoyed the ride. I paid attention to the signs. You know how many signs are present between Boston and Portland? A whole bunch. I learned new. I've been driving these roads. I've been here for the last year and a half. And I just, I could have told you this is my exit. I need to go because I'm paying attention to my destination. But in that middle passage seat right there, because I have no control over what's going to happen next. I was able to enjoy the nice ride. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that restaurant was right here. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. I took a picture. I was like, this is awesome. Anyone who's around me knows I generally am not that slow paced. I am focused. I'm driving usually. So I'm like on the road. Like, I don't care about that sign. I don't care about I'm only looking for exit 17. Everything else I just passed by, it doesn't even matter. But here, I was like, look at the cars. Oh, there's no snow. Oh, this is an older looking bill. I was having this whole dialogue. I'm like, is this the world I've been driving by the whole time? I'm pretty sure all of you are like, yes, nothing has changed too much from when whatever. How do we start reading the scriptures like that? Where we kind of appreciate the journey as opposed to destination. Most of us have been reading scriptures destination oriented. Like my goal is to read two chapters today. And so you're like, or my goal is to understand the Greek meaning of what it means to be a disciple. Uh, You're going in destination oriented and you start to miss the journey that the, the spirit is leading you on. There are times and it's a little bit more challenging with two young boys. There are times where I'm reading the scriptures and we are just coasting. I'm reading and I'm like, wow, my five senses are activated when I'm reading the scriptures. Where it's like Jesus spat in that guy's, spat in the mud and put it on his face. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that smelled like. Sometimes I don't ask what that smells like, but I'm like, I wonder what that smelled like. I'm pretty pretty sure it smelled bad. And he like put it on his face and I'm like, oh, and the sound, you know, like when you get a real solid loogie, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) I'm like, I'm the blind man. If I would have heard that noise, I'm like, whoa, I know what that is. I heard you just heal people from a distance. I heard you did this for the centurion. You didn't go to his house. I want that healing. (laughs) Don't spit in my eye. But I'm slowing down sometimes that I could be on the journey. And then when I move out of that situation, I'm in fellowship with you guys. I'm I'm on campus. I'm in another appointment. I'm thinking to myself, Jesus says, man, if you said you couldn't see, then you wouldn't be guilty. But since you, do, since you say you can't see, you are guilty. And I'm like, in what ways do I think I'm fully persuaded I know what's right and I don't really know? I'm talking with Tim, and Tim is like, oh, I feel this, I feel that. And I'm like, oh, no, I know. And I'm like, you know what? Can I think about that a little bit? Can I be a little bit slower to give an answer here? I don't want to seem that I'm right and not right. Maybe the Lord needs to spit in my eyes right now. You're like, that's discouraging, but it's also fired up, spiritually speaking. So how do we have an unhurried delight? I think a big part of it is the destination. 
And so this is what I, I have a similar challenge that Lincoln has as well. I love I if between the journey and between studying, studying, I know when I'm done. The journey, who knows when we're done? I, I'm such a when are we done? And so if someone's like this journey with, with scripture, I tried meditation. And the first time I got into meditation, I still meditate, but in a different way. I did meditation, and the guy was like, just sit until you know you sat. The first time I did it, it was like 45 seconds. I opened my eyes. I'm like, I'm done. And the next time, I put a timer. That was the only thing that was going to calm my soul. I could not sit for 15 seconds not knowing how long I was going to sit for. So I'm like, okay, the goal is to sit for 10 minutes. And I put the 10-minute timer and like after five minutes, it felt like 80. I was like, gosh, when is this going to end? And I look at the timer. I keep looking at the timer. And again, I, I realize, okay, I'm not ready yet to slow down in that way to meditate well. So I'm still growing in that. Now I can meditate for about two minutes before I have to go do something. But again, destination is my issue. I need to be on the journey. Like, we know the destination. Everyone in here, you know the destination. Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You all, if you're living faithfully, you know on the last day you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So the destination is figured out. You know it just like when I got on that bus. I know I'm going back to Portland. I know at some point if the bus driver does his job, I'm going back to Portland. My job is to enjoy the ride. Pay attention to what's happening. Same thing spiritually. I'm going to use an analogy that you all are quite familiar with. Hiking. How many people have gone hiking? Come on, man. Only in New England I knew I was going to get 100%. Our Florida folks, man, we got no mountains down there. It's flat. You're like hiking. I climbed up some dirt. It is easy. It's just walking. That's what we call it in Florida, walking. Um, how many have gone hiking more than once? How many have gone hiking at the same trail more than once? Okay, you totally understand how to slow down and enjoy the journey then. I'm not a hiker. And I've gone hiking. There was a trail that was like an hour. And the moment I got on the trail, when we were on the flattest part of the land, I was like, I wonder how long this is going to take. We were 15 minutes in, and I was like, I wonder if I could just turn back. Then we were 35 minutes in, and I saw the summit, and I'm like, oh, we're almost near the top. I still wonder if I could turn back. Then we got to the summit, and I was at the top of the summit, and I was like, this is pretty cool. The whole time I was thinking about when I could leave, the guy I was hiking with was talking to me about his life, talking about, I was, I, I, I was dating Julian at the time. I wasn't married yet. Uh, but they were married, the person I was walking with. They were talking about their life and all this other stuff, and they were picking trees and other things. And all I'm thinking is, bro, we've been walking for an hour. What are we doing? Like, we could have had this conversation in air conditioning. Like, whoa. <laughs> like, the whole time we're walking. But he's, he's having, like, he's looking, and he stops. He picks up some sticks, and he's like, look at this. And I'm like, we could have done I could have Google searched that. The whole time, I'm just... We're just walking, and I'm like, oh, it's been one hour, it's been one hour. And then we get to the top, and we're standing there, and he's like, look at, look at, look at all of this. And we're looking, I'm like, oh, that is pretty cool. Two minutes later, all right, that's enough. I get it. This is pretty cool. And I'm like, we need to get that. I wish there was a, like a back button that we could hit just to go straight to the bottom. But the difference was 
he was on a journey, I was on a destination. He would consistently go hiking. He loves, and when he goes hiking, and I went hiking with him one other time at a different location, shorter journey, he, he accommodated for me. But again, I still wasn't paying attention to the things around me. I just wanted to get there, get down. I did it to love him. I didn't do it because I actually wanted to do it. But for him, that was big. He's like, I'm just, when you're reading the scriptures, are you saying, man, I'm on a journey with you, Lord? I'm not you, Jesus, but I'm on a journey with you. And when I, end, when I close my Bible, that journey still continues as I go about my day-to-day -day life. Yeah. I take notice of the little things that I'm journeying with. Like, it's so important, especially all you guys who consistently go back to the same trail. You understand the journey. Nothing has changed significantly from the last time you were on that particular trail. I'm almost certain. The same leaves and the same things that just like, whoa, but now you see another type of leaf. And you're like, it's all green. It's all leaves. But you're like, it's amazing. Same thing when it comes to the scriptures. I know some of us have been reading it for a number of years and we're like, I'm just kind of bored with it. I think we get bored with it because we're so hyper-focused on the destination instead of the journey. Yeah. Like this, these scriptures are meditation literature. The, every time we read it, something new comes up, believe it or not. Especially if you slow down enough. There are times when I read this Bible when I was 20 years old, there were scriptures that didn't stand out to me. Now at 36 years old, they stand out. Like, uh, who was the king that, that was like seven years old when he became king? You guys know my Bible's good. Yes. When I was 20, that was 13 years removed from me. I'm like, that's a pretty young guy. At 36, I'm like, whoa, they're in trouble. <laughs> I, got a, I, I got an almost three-year-old. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't even project his maturity to lead a nation at seven. You know what I mean? I'm like, whoa. But at 20, it was just kind of like, oh, that's not good. Now at, now at 36, I'm like, the world's in big trouble if a seven-year-old takes the helm at anything. And not because they're evil. They're pure-hearted, but they won't be able to make any wise decision for God's people, let alone for themselves. At 20, I was reading King David's story, how it ended, how he passed it, the baton to Solomon. And I was like, that's interesting. He, killed, he wanted Solomon to kill all these people, and he married this young lady, and he just kept her around to stay warm. I was like, okay. Now at 36, I'm like... David, you died so bitter, dude. Like, you're dying. Why are you worried about killing these people? You kind of said you were okay with all those people. Now you're worried about killing them. David, you still didn't really even learn from the woman situation. Like, why does she have to be married to you just so you can stay warm? Just let her be free. Get a big blanket. You're a king, bro. That's 36 years old reading it. At 20, I was like, hey, maybe they didn't have blankets. Now I know they had blankets back then. He just wanted a young lady, unfortunately. Some things never change. And so the journey, you guys are reading parts of scripture. I get more blown away every time I go through the gospels. Preferably you're all reading through. Like, every time I go through the gospels, I'm more blown away by how amazing Jesus is. He says some really tough things and people love him. He loves some of the most unlovable people. He has a still resolution to get certain things done, but he never does it in a forceful way. Like, find me a command in the Bible or a teaching in the scriptures in the four Gospels where Jesus forced someone to do something. He laid out what he wanted them to do, but he didn't force anyone to do anything. And I think sometimes I'm like, man, that's just not how the world works unless it does work that way. And I just need my faith to increase. So when we're on a journey, the story of the scriptures, start to, we start to assimilate it in our lives. 
We become people who do acts of love. We become people who give out cold water. We, 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 we don't have to get inspired to go on mission. Mission just becomes what we're, what we're doing, healing and justice. All these things, the texts start to form us into Jesus and not the other way around. We start to read it in a slow pace where we are joined into the story. I believe most of our challenges, at least half of our challenges in our fellowship of churches, comes from people not reading the Bible well. Yeah. Other half are like some other real, some, some other stuff that needs to grow, but half the challenge of churches that get stuck, like, oh, we can't grow, we can't do this, I believe half that battle is people have lost sight of the story. They have lost sight of what Jesus is doing. And so the, why do we read the Bible slowly? To form Christ in us. And the formation of Christ is self-giving love. Like, if you read the story of Jesus, that is a story of self-giving love. Everything he does, like a couple of weeks ago, we preached about um, taking up your cross and following him. If you follow Jesus right, your life is symbolized by taking up your cross for the sake of others. Like, that is the most upside-down revolutionary strategy to change the world. You're like, hey, man, Peter's like, you're the Messiah, you're the king. And he's like, yep, and now we're about to lay down the law. Nope, he's like, yep, now that you know I'm the king, take your cross and let's die. If you're going to follow me, it's going to be this way, and everything we're doing, everything we're teaching will end up in our lives, but it will save others. So if you lose your life, you'll save it. If you save your life, you'll lose it. You're like, this is insane. And yet, those of us who have taken that journey and really followed Jesus, we, we, we... we see within that potential paradox a true beauty there. But that takes us going on the journey. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. We need to proclaim Christ, but a big part of that comes from us sitting down in scripture. Next, next time we meet up next, and next month, we're going to talk about hearing the word before actually reading the word. We need to be people who can hear the word of God. Hearing is such an incredible and an important part to this slow journey and to be participants. The next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more techniques on how to slow down our way of reading to be able to be on this journey with Jesus to spiritual formation. That being said, any questions, anything you guys want cleared up, any pushback, that's welcome too. Maybe I should stop recording so you could push back in, in complete freedom. <laughs>